continue in the great story that we're going through in the book of Acts. We've covered several chapters so far. Mission briefing. The mission begins. Impact. Opposition to the mission. And today we'll cover the first casualty. Chapters 6 and 7. Last week we did kind of like a, a, like a special feature commentary. You know, if you still get DVDs, sometimes they have of movies, they have uh, special features in there. And sometimes they have like the, a director or somebody interesting making commentary as the movie goes by. And that, that's what we did last week. And we're going to start out this week like that. But then we're going to go to, uh, that's for chapter 6. But then in chapter 7, we're going to have, before we read it, I'm going to give like an extensive trailer for that part of the movie. So you can watch for certain things as, as it's read. And then, then there'll be a few words afterwards. That, uh, tra- that uh, extensive trailer before, before reading the longest speech in Acts, covering 1,000 years of Israel's history. We're going to cover 1,000 years of history in just a few minutes. That's a long time. You know, the history of this country isn't even a quarter of that. But we're going to do that this morning. All right. Acts chapter 6. If you bring up the first verse, please. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Being a widow in those days was, was really tough. It was frequently, there, was no safe, there weren't no safety nets, and if you didn't have family, you were in big trouble because you really couldn't get a job, and they were in trouble. So the early Christian church, this is a clue that they started, they started taking care of those who had real, real need. So there was a, the widows were given food, and a problem arose. The Hellenists, those were Jews who were probably from elsewhere, outside of Palestine, and they spoke Greek. The Jews that live in Palestine would speak Aramaic and they would know Hebrew from their time in the synagogues. So there was a language barrier here and it was causing a problem. This is like the first problem of this nature in the church. And so a problem arose. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. They delegated a task that needed to be done. Notice the qualifications. A good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Is that overqualified for food distribution? That's what they wanted. The twelve wanted that. Those, those were the qualifications for that job. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Because the twelve wanted to focus on their task, prayer and ministry of the Word. Everybody needs to be doing what God calls them to. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephan, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolos, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
Two of those guys would become famous for doing far more than administrating food distribution. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is explosive growth, including many priests. The faith was beginning to spread to some of the religious, official religious people, at least the priests. Many priests were getting involved in this sweep of the Holy Spirit in the early history of the church. All right, and now we'll focus on one of those guys that was appointed for the food, Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is the first record of signs and wonders in the book of Acts that was done by someone other than the apostles. But it wouldn't be the last. The argument that apostles were the only ones that did these kinds of things is simply not true. Moving on. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Opposition rose up and disputed with Stephen. If this had been a televised debate today, everyone would agree that Stephen won overwhelmingly. Why? Because they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So, what would they do, these opponents? What might happen today in similar circumstances? Criminalize your opponent. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. All right, what next? And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They put out some false news on their equivalent of social media to stir up people successfully. Enough so that he was seized and brought before the council, evidently without enough protest or objection to mention. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now sometimes the worst kind of lies have a little bit of truth mixed in. It makes it more palatable to people. And there may have been some misunderstood truth mixed in here. Jesus did say something about destroying the temple. If I may describe that, this is from the Gospel of John, Jews speaking to Jesus. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Yeah, they remembered it. It sounds like Stephen may have mentioned this, and it was twisted against him. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. End of chapter 6. Before getting into Acts 7 and the longest speech in Acts, first the trailer for this historical narrative, with spoilers included. It's a true story covering about a thousand years of their history from Abraham to King David. So he's covering the time from 2,000 years prior up to about 1,000 years beforehand. This is history that they'd be uh, familiar with. A good story. He's going to start with the origins. You see origin movies now? He starts with the origins. How their nation got started with one man. Then in a good, as in a good story, there's a conflict He'll describe some, well, some trouble with Joseph, but then trouble in Egypt. And it was the trouble in Egypt that was causing all kinds of problems for the nation of Israel, for the people. And then the resolution. God sent a ruler and redeemer for their salvation. They rejected Him at age 40. After 40 more years, He came again to set them free. In verse 39 is their reaction to all of that. Our fathers refused to obey Him, but thrust Him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. They didn't want the one whom God had sent to set them free. They didn't want that means to to the resolution. All right, and now the featured story. And the high priest said, speaking to Stephen, from the council, are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet He gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. 
But God was with him and rescued him out of all, his, all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on his second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles 
to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey Him, but thrust Him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua, when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Note that Moses said this in verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. That prophet would be Jesus, the righteous one. So Moses and Jesus' similarities in Stephen's speech, both Moses and Jesus were sent by God. Both were sent as a Redeemer. Both performed signs and wonders. And Israel basically rejected the message of both. They ended up treating Jesus very similar to how they treated Moses. Now, how do you think they felt when they heard this? How much did they understand of this picture that Stephen was painting, saying, you're just like your ancestors, rejecting the one whom God has sent. In fact, in this case, killing him. Well, he's going to make it very clear, because he's about to get to the point in this address to the council. Continuing on, verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now this term, stiff-necked, it's an Old Testament term, term, And it describes something that they'd be familiar with. When you would plow up a field, you'd have one hand on the plow, and your other hand would be on on an ox goad, which is kind of a pole with a pointy thing on the end. And if you want the ox to go faster, you just poke him in the behind and move him along. And if he needs to go to the right or to the left, or you need to straighten out because he's starting to wander, you use that same ox goad to tap him on the neck and to kind of 
get him to move over and start going in the direction that he needs to go in. Now, sometimes an ox didn't want to pay attention to what you did with the ox goad to his neck. And literally, they'd say that ox is hard of neck and typically gets translated as stiff-necked. And in the context in the Old Testament, which they would be familiar with, stiff-neck would be a description of people when they were resistant to God's direction. They were called stiff-necked when they were resistant to God's direction. And this business about being uncircumcised and hard in ears. You know, as I said before, there's a relationship between circumcision and the covenant that God established with Abraham. When the Scripture talks about being circumcised in heart, it's a little different matter. Circumcision with Abraham was in the flesh. But these people being uncircumcised in heart, even though they are circumcised in their flesh with that physical sign of adhering to the covenant, their hearts, their hearts were actually like the hearts of pagan people who were far from God. And as God would say, you're uncircumcised in heart. Uncircumcised in ears. Their uncircumcised heart made their ears uncircumcised. In other words, they were unwilling and incapable of obeying the Word of the Lord. Earlier, Stephen reminded them that God, that Abraham had been given the covenant of circumcision. By telling them they are uncircumcised in heart and ears, he is implying that they are guilty of breaking God's covenant. He's going to continue on in his address. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is just like what Jesus said. We find that in Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So are your witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So Jesus made the point that, you know, you're just like your ancestors. And now Stephen is repeating it. See, they thought they were better. They thought they were doing better than their ancestors had done. They acknowledge, yeah, our ancestors blew it, but we're, we're, we're different. You say, no, you're just like them. You're doing the same thing. You're doing exactly the same thing that they did. Now I want you to note their reaction in the next verse back in the Acts. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That's the best I can do at that. And I want you to compare the reaction to the reaction of another set of people when told something very similar by Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This is Peter speaking. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, 
This Jesus whom you crucified. It's the same charge here. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter tells them what to do. And 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. Entirely different attitude here. These are the regular people. When you go to the council, what was their reaction? Continuing on with what Stephen says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Alright, he had a vision of some sort. Now note, Jesus is not sitting, but he's standing. Other references talk about Jesus sitting there. But no, here he sees him in his vision, evidently his vision, is standing, implying that Jesus is about to do something. All right. I'd like you to think about what children might sometimes do when they don't want to hear something. Ever seen a, a kid do this? Ah, when they don't want to hear something. Have you ever seen that? I've I've been around enough kids. I've seen it. The next verse, continuing on. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Ah! This is the council. These are children. Ah! And they're rushing them like that. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so falls the first martyr, the first of many, continuing to the present day. So, what should you and I do based on this information? I'm going to just three things. Number one, Determine to get your heart and ears circumcised. The covenant with Abraham involves circumcision of the flesh. That covenant has been superseded by the one that was established in Jesus' blood. Jesus died to establish a superior covenant. The way to gain access, the way to become part of it, is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and He will transform your heart. Or if you already have done that, put more faith and trust in Jesus and He'll transform your heart even further. Number two, 
Determine in your heart to really be a follower of Jesus Christ. He called people to follow Him. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Not being stiff-necked, but being open to direction from God. Whoever God gives you direction, pay attention to it. And don't be stiff-necked. And if you don't know how to receive direction from God, ask Him to show you. Ask Him to show you how He wants to give you direction for your life. And He'll do it. He's interested in what you're up to. In fact, He has a plan for you. He has things that He'd like you to, that He wants you to accomplish. So you don't have to rack your brains trying to figure out how, how you're going to follow Jesus, how you're going to serve Jesus. Just find out from Him what He has in mind and just do that. Number three, this might be the hardest one. Number three, set your heart to follow Jesus the rest of your life, even if that means you will be martyred by following him. You think, well, that's not going to happen. That happened in history. That happens in other parts of the world. The situation may arise where you need to make a fast decision. That's happened in this country. You a Christian? The guy with the gun, depending on the answer, makes his decision. That's happened. Sometimes it involves a fast decision. So make your decision now. That you'll follow him. Now, God might rescue you from that situation and He might not. In this case, Stephen was done on this earth. There's numerous other cases, cases recorded in Scripture where God intervenes. He goes, oh no, I'm keeping this guy around. You can throw him in the furnace, but he's not going to burn. Or you can lock him up. Scheduled to be executed in the morning. But I'll send an angel to set him free. He can go either way. Whatever God has in mind for you, just walk that path. Just walk that path. If He calls you to be a martyr, awesome. If He calls you to be saved from martyrdom, awesome. And if that possibility never erupts in your life, and you just follow him anyway, follow him without that kind of danger, that's awesome also. In some ways, it's all the same. But it is an honor and a privilege to be called to follow the greatest one this planet has ever seen. The Redeemer, the ruler and redeemer of salvation, for our salvation, sent by God, who calls us to follow Him. So some of us, some of us, 
may follow him to a martyr's death. And that's okay. Please rise. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to live our lives putting our faith and trust in You. You are totally reliable and dependable. You are faithful, even when we are not faithful. You are faithful. Your goodness is astounding. And so, Lord, we we want to put as much as we can all our faith and trust in You. And we want to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. We, we, don't want to be, we don't want to be resisting the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be stiff-necked or uncircumcised in heart and ears. Lord, in whatever way our hearts need circumcision now, just circumcise our hearts and ears, Lord. So when You give us a change of course or a change of direction, we respond to You. We don't want to be like a stiff-necked oxen bent on doing our own thing, heading in our own direction. But we want to be followers of You, Lord Jesus, and follow You wherever it takes us and however, however we get there. And Lord, I, I pray for those of us who may be called to martyrdom and dying because we're following You. History is full of men and women who did that. There have been many, many over the centuries. And if some of us are called to the same thing, we pray that at, at the, when we need it, give us strength, Lord. Give us strength. Give us strength. And fill our hearts with grace and love, just like you did for Stephen, who forgave those who were killing him, just like, just like the one who he was following forgave those who executed him on the cross. Lord, we want, we want that kind of heart. Lord, we want to live well and we want to die well. And if You call us to die nobly like that, just give us the strength and the grace to do it well. And not to falter and not to waver and not to deny You. For we want to follow You forever, Lord. Send Your Spirit upon us now. to prepare us for whatever future lies before us. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm I'm serious when I say some of you could be called a martyrdom. Some people know it beforehand, but I suspect most don't. So, Lord, help us all. In Jesus' name, amen.